morning to all of you who are joining us online or whenever you're joining us through the course of the week or weeks that, are, that will follow after this. As Steve mentioned, we're going to start a new series today. And I want to start out with a video, right? So it's going to come up here on the screen. And, uh, and this is a video of the Tour de France. Anybody a big cycling fans in our group, right? It's way too much work. I'm going to get an e-bike with a motor on it and away you go, especially when you're going up. These guys ride over 2,000 miles in the span of about 24 days and 20 stages. And uh, they, they, they are at times, they climb as high as 6,500 feet above sea level as they go through the Alps and through the Pyrenees. And the race usually takes place in, in, um, in July of every year. And there are 200 racers, usually right around then. And they're usually all part of teams. That means they're helping each other out as they go through the journey. But I, I'm showing this video for a particular purpose. These guys are doing 38 kilometers an hour right now. So that's like, what, 20 miles an hour? And that doesn't look like it's down. I only hit 20 miles an hour going downhill, going down a steep hill, right? These guys, are, they're, just, they're just cruising. Um, one of the things that, the, the reason I'm pointing this out to you, they accomplish all of this stuff. They, they go 2,000 miles. It's actually 19, 1,988 miles over 20 stages, and they do all of that by repeating the exact same thing. They pedal. <laughs> they pedal. I mean, there is no way for them to achieve this. There's no way for them to get to the front and win the yellow jersey. There's no way for them to participate with the member of their teams and get them to where they're winning the yellow jersey. None of that happens unless they pedal. And so I, it'd be interesting for somebody to figure out how many revolutions of pedaling they do over 2,000 miles. But I'm going to try to hold on to that imagery quite a bit for us as we work through this series. Because a lot of what we're going to do, and Rob, that's good. You can, you can break off from that now because they're paying more attention to the video than they are to me at this point. All right? And, um, because in our journey with Christ, some of the most powerful things that propel us in our relationship with Jesus are repetitive. Now, for these guys, it's not just about pedaling, but they, they have studied and examined everything they can do to get more efficiency, more results out of what they do. I mean, these bikes are super lightweight. The tires are all aerodynamic, and they've got special derailers, and they wear, you know, the really speed races, they wear the funny helmets, you know. They do everything they possibly can to be more effective at what they're trying to accomplish. And that's very much the spirit that we entered into this series called Rooted. We're trying to look at those things that are repetitive in our lives as a follower of Christ, things that we do over and over again, things that we, and the things that we can do to master those things, to get more effective at them, those things that allow us to be more effective in our service of Christ as we move forward. And so we're entering in this series, and we're calling it Rooted, and it's the idea of growing deep and going wide. And, and I wanted just to share a couple of theme verses with you as we kind of launch into this. And so as we work through this, and, and, and I'm going to preach this series shorter than the nine weeks that we're going to do. We're going to take about six weeks to get through all of this. But one of my first ones comes from Colossians chapter 2. And again, we're not looking for the goal of a yellow jersey. 
or to somehow stand at the podium at the end holding the trophy. That's what we're not really looking. That's not our objective, right? But our objective is something much more along this lines from Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him. And we're going to be talking about what does it mean to walk in him and how do we do that and how we do that effectively, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. We're, we're looking to, to, to look at those things that allow us to walk in him and to be deeply rooted so that no matter which, what's going on in our lives, our roots are deep enough that we are established and we do not fall over. I mean, we just had the hurricane, right? And it's interesting, I, I was reading a post with one of our former church members who lives down now in the Fort Myers area, and, and off of her home, she lost some fascia board and had a small hole that they were able to cover with a, a tarp that, you know, between the roof and the side of the house or whatever. But many of her neighbors, the entire roofs were just lifted off. Right? So we're trying to build a life that when the winds really blow, like Jesus said, the wind's going to blow, the rain's going to fall, the river's going to rise. When those things happen, we want to be rooted, built on the rock. And we're trying to look at those things. And not just to survive, but to thrive so that we can experience all the abundance, all that God's trying to give us. Another theme verse for me that's really driving a lot of what I want to say is, comes from Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that you, this is Paul praying for those who had come to know Christ through him. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. We're not, we're not just trying to get, I'm not trying just to get you to do certain things so you're doing certain things. I'm trying to equip you as God's trying to equip me to experience the fullness of God. And the only way that's going to happen is if we're rooted. If we're rooted deeply in God's love and the truth that he's given us and we are engaging in those things that allow us to walk and to walk closely and intimate with him as we move forward. Another passage just stood out to me, and I'm just kind of throwing these in. To, I'm, I'm trying to lift your expectations. It's like, oh, another series. Oh, lift your expectations just a little bit. This comes from Psalms chapter 1. And it starts out with a warning, and then it says, but the person who follows God's instructions, this is what it says about him. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bear its fruit in season, and the leaf does not wither. Like my grass withered this summer <laughs> in the heat, in the no rain, right? A lot of you had the same problem, just turned brown. The only good thing was we didn't have to cut our grass, right? Because it was nothing growing. But he's saying that, you know, when, when we do, when we engage in the spiritual peddling that we're supposed to do, <clears throat> that God has clearly laid out for us as we walk with him, we are like a tree that's planted by, by a flowing stream that always has the water it needs, so its leaf never, never whispers, uh, withers, and it, and it prospers in all that it does. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And I want to start out with my message today, uh, talking about the disciples' pathway. And, and, and here's why, because you know, there, there's an experience in the book of Acts that we often look at, and it's a pretty cool thing, and, and that kind of thing. And, and, and but I think it's done us a disservice. 
right? You know, we're launching out in this so individually you can thrive spiritually. You're going to hopefully develop the understanding and the skill set and the commitment and the relationships that are going to allow you to, to prosper in all that, that God has for you. But on top of that, we're also trying to elevate our ability to disciple others as a body. Our prayer is that when we get done with this, there'll be, there'll be a number of people who say, you know what, I can take a couple of people who are just getting on the on-ramp of this discipleship path, or they're just connecting with this team that's trying to move forward to the finish line together, and we can bring them in. And so we're looking to have more people being able to do that. So we are looking for this to, to grow into something else. But a lot of it stems out of the fact that sometimes in the church, what we see as a positive in the New Testament has turned out to be a negative for us. And, and, it, and, and the experience I want to point out to you, and we talked about this a little bit in my life group on, on Tuesday night, comes from Acts chapter 11. And this, what was happening here is that this is the early stages of the church, and Acts chapter 11 really focuses on the fact that God, the gospel was just exploding in the city of Antioch. After the persecution that had taken place in Jerusalem, a lot of believers had left, and, 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 and so the Jews had kind of scattered, and some of them went up the coastline from Palestine, up the coastline from Jerusalem, and they had settled in the city of Antioch, and, and they were sharing their faith, and a church was formed, and things were growing, and it was really great, and Barnabas was there kind of giving leadership and helping set the riverbanks so the church kept moving forward in a way that was really on the pathway of following after Christ. And it got so busy, he had to go get Paul to come join him. And Paul's expertise was probably really in those phases where he could help the Jews understand how the grace fit in with law and all that kind of stuff. And they were together for an entire year just teaching the believers and seeing the church really thrive in the city of Antioch. And then we get this statement. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, that's a good thing in terms of the New Testament. It was, it, was one, it was a moment in time when people looked and say, they're not just Jews. They are Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They are Christians. And so their light was shining, if you will, and stepping out, right? But I look at it now 21 centuries, right? 20 centuries removed from that experience, and I don't think that terminology always suits us. I'm a Christian. Right? And, and, and so we, we're able to testify with who we want to identify with, but it does not necessarily mean that we are engaging in the things that it means to be a Christian. And so when we give up the title of being a disciple of Christ and just turn into Christians and we forget about the discipleship, the whole thing just begins to collapse. It's not that God's not powerful and all those kinds of things, but when our agenda is not to be a disciple of Christ, then, and we, we're just settled to be a Christian. I'm, I'm somebody that when they look at me, they know that I believe in Jesus, but that doesn't necessarily translate to the fact that I'm actually following or walking after Jesus. And I think we've gotten to a place in our journey sometimes as believers where we're comfortable with being Christians without really being disciples. And that's why you'll often hear as I share messages and as I write, I don't use the word Christian all the time. In fact, I try to minimize my use. I try to use the word followers of Christ because that's what it really means to be a Christian. 
Now, in the New Testament, there's a word that we, that we translate as disciple. We, we look at Jesus at 12 disciples who walked with him, and it's this, it's this Greek word, mathetis, right? And, and it has a, a kind of a, a, a rich meaning, you know, meaning um, and Rob, there should be a slide there, I think, with that word, with mathetis, right? Is, is, it, it has the idea of being a pupil, of being a student, of being a learner, of being a follower, or, and, and I actually think a better idea is to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ, right? It, you know, because we can be a student, and, you know, my wife's a piano teacher. Some of her students practice a lot. Some of them, the only time they touch the keyboard is when they're in the house taking their lesson. But they're all students of piano, right? That, so that translation, we sit in classes in our schools and college, or, or you have to go re, for recertification for the career you're in, with, and you're just thinking, I just want to survive this. Let me have the best daydream while they're talking up there or whatever. But supposedly we're a student in the classroom while it's all going on. I think a lot of that gets lost. But the idea of being an apprentice, right? The idea of being a, an apprentice is that you actually attach yourself to somebody else and say, I am making commitment to you that I am going to learn what it is that you have to teach me. And if you're not doing that, you're out. You know, my, my, I have family in the electrical business, and they've constantly had apprentices who have been a part of their thing. But if they had an apprentice who said, I don't want to learn how to be an electrician. I just want to learn how to play golf better. So I'll just bring my clubs to work and walk around behind you and practice my swing while you put the panel together or do it. They're not going to be an apprentice very long, right? I, I remember my, my brother had a, a foreman that he, he was learning from as, as he was going through, and he was all over him. Like, you know, your screwdriver had to be in your back left pocket. Your wire cutters had to be in your back right pocket. You had to always keep your wire nuts in your left pocket or whatever. So it's just one of these things where you never wasted time saying, where is that tool? You know, you, you, just instinctively. You, but you, you, you commit to learning. And I got to tell you, for us to really be Christians, for us to be disciples, we really have to be committed to being apprentices or following after Christ. We have to be about it. So the, our, the pre prerequisite then for being a Christian is that we were truly a disciple. Go back and look at the church in Acts, right? They, they were devoting themselves to learning what it meant to follow after Christ. And as a result of that, they were able to be identified as Christians. And you can't skip that step. Let me say, you can't skip that step, right? I'll, I'll, all right, I'll take the grace and then I'll just skip to being a Christian, but I'll forget the whole discipling or following piece. So I want to say a few things about this disciples pathway. And, 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 I'm, and I'm hoping these things will be helpful for us as we move in. Now, in order to be on the disciples' pathway, you have to have personally committed to following after Jesus. Let me say that again. You can't be a disciple unless you've actually made an intentional, specific, personal choice to be a disciple. Now, so well, that kind of seems straightforward to me. Well, you know, is it so much? You know, I, I've been... I've been doing ministry in New England where we have some very strong um, church traditions around here where you are, 
you know, you are brought into the church through baptism as an infant, and you just raise up, your, it's just a whole journey, and you just are. And, and I hear people say frequently, I have always believed in God. Let me tell you something. You, are, you have never, ever been in a situation where you can say, I've always been a disciple of Jesus Christ. This doesn't happen. Right? You, you may say, I've always believed in God, and somehow or another I'm just on that pathway. You do not get on the pathway of being a follower after Christ without a specific choice to do so. Let me give you an example from the New Testament. And I'm, I'm going to bring it up from Matthew chapter 4. And some of you are going to recognize this right away. Um, and, and we see these experiences in all the Gospels as Jesus is calling out his disciples. But just reading here in, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. So as he, this is a reference to Jesus. So if you're using one of our pew Bibles, you can see this text on page 857. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. And uh, I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. So if my translation's a little different than yours, uh, you know, the meaning should be similar, but the way that they translate it from Greek into English is probably just slightly different. So as he, as Jesus, was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, and they were casting their net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. And they, and they said, well, I've always been a fisherman. No, what, the, what does it say here? Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. See this principle. In order to be a disciple of Christ, there is something that we have to have left and something that we have chosen to do as we move forward. Not done with this passage yet. Going on from there, we saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Now, they were in the boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. So in other words, the words that he used with them, is he looked at, he looked at uh, James and John, and he, said, um, and he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And this is what the scripture tells us. Immediately, they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Somewhere in the journey of listening, responding, being called and, 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 and drawn by God into a relationship with him, there comes a moment where it isn't like I've always believed in God, but it comes to a moment to say, I'm going to get out of the boat. I'm going to leave the nets behind. I'm going to leave the vocation behind. I'm even going to alter my relationship as I was working with my dad, if you will, and I'm going to follow after Jesus. There takes a moment where you make a personal decision to be a disciple or a follower after Jesus Christ. Now, there's a big reason why that needs to happen. Because there is an old way of life we have to leave behind, and there's a new way of life we have to embrace. And, and, and the passage of Scripture I want to pull up comes from John chapter 3. Some of you remember this passage very story. It's the, the story of, of uh, it's the encounter of Nicodemus, who is a religious leader 
who doesn't want to be found out that he's talking to Jesus, so he has this covert nightly connection with him, and he comes and he, and he says, hey, we know you're from God, and you, nobody could do these kinds of things you're doing. Nobody could speak the way you do if you weren't from God, and, 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 and you know, so tell me what you need to know, what I need to know, and Jesus looks at him and says, and says truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, in other words, something gets left behind, and you enter into something new, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And, and that choice comes down to the fact that we leave behind an old way of life without God, and we are renewed, born again, become new creations in Christ, and as a result of choosing to follow after Christ. There has to be that moment where we say, I'm going to get on the on-ramp, and I'm actually going to be on the pathway of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, part of what you're going to see in, in the study as you work through this material with the, your life groups and, and, and other kinds of groups that you're in related to this is you, we, we've laid out the gospel this way. Now, there are probably different ways to express it, but I think this is very possible, powerful, and it really lays out the choice that we need to make because we believe the gospel starts out with what was God's plan. God's plan was for us to have an intimate relationship with him. And if you want a picture, just go back to the Garden of Eden. God shows up at the end of the day, and, he's, and, he's, and, he, and he wants to walk in the garden with his creation, and he wants to interact with Adam and Eve. He, that's what God's plan is, to live in relationship with all of his creation, unmarred, unfettered, unbroken. He wants to be deeply connected to us. He wants to be a part of our lives, and he wants us to be a part of him. He wants there to be no barriers between us. We see that picture in the Garden of Eden. But there's a problem. So we have God's plan, but we then have our problem. And that is that just like Adam and Eve, we've chosen in some way or another that we're, gonna, we're not, we're not going to do what God's asked us to do. We're going to do something different instead. And the Bible calls that sin. And the scripture says actually all of us have sinned. And with that, we fall short of God's glory. Right? It doesn't mean that you have, you're an axe murderer or any of those kinds of things. But, but simply, even if you, just, if you just even tell a simple lie, welcome to the club. Right? And, and it's, this is our problem. And you see the picture of it. What, what happened when Adam and Eve, right? When God came back after they had broken his request to saying, you can, you, everything I got, you can have. Except for you see this one tree? Don't touch it. And yet they had taken a huge bite, right? And Adam and Eve learned the ability of deflection. Oh, it was her fault, not mine. And, and you know what? I was here before her, and that she's her, that's your fault. You know, just, the whole blame game's going on, right? And what happens? God has to put them outside of the, out of the garden, and then he has to guard it because they're not qualified to come in anymore. That's us. And this is where the moment comes where we're going to say, are we going to leave that kind of experience behind? Leave our boat in our nets, and we're going to choose something different. And the scripture tells us that God's got a remedy for that problem so that you and I can actually get back into the garden figuratively. And that's that he's given us Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus is going to go on to say to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's got a remedy for the problem so that he can fulfill his plan. But with that, it creates a scenario for you and I that we have to make a response. 
And somewhere in that journey, you and I have to, as we, as we encounter who God is, where we stand in relationship to him, and what Jesus came to do to give himself as a life, his life as a ransom for many, somewhere in the midst of all of that, we, you and I have a choice to make as God works in our hearts. James and John, Peter and Andrew, you know, they, they, you know, Jesus says, hey, follow me. And they'll say, nah, I got work to do. You know, the nets need mending, the wife's at home, who's going to feed the kids? You know, I, I, I haven't paid this boat off yet, you know, I just, I just leased, I got, you know, and I, I, got, I can't do this. And they could have said no. Somewhere along that line, you and I have a choice to make. Are we going to embrace the grace that God has given us to, Jesus, to become a, his child through our faith in Jesus Christ? And are we going to enter onto that pathway of being a follower after Christ, or we're going to say no? And, and, and every single one of us is, encountered, is, is, is confronted with that choice somewhere in that journey, in our journey. And, you know, for me, that choice came very early. I'm grateful for that. It came to me when I was really just a small child at the age of 11 years old. But I've actually had experiences where I, I've prayed at the bedside of somebody in a hospital who i got gotten a chance to share the good news with over and over and over again over like a 30-year period, and it was literally within just a few days of, giving up, of losing their life and going on to be in heaven, they actually said yes to Jesus. But somewhere along the line, every single one of us has to say, I'm going to get out of the boat, and I'm going to follow him. I'm going to get out of the boat, and I'm going to go follow him. We have to leave something behind and move forward. That doesn't happen by accident. You may have always been raised to believe in God. You may look around and see the beauty of creation and said, there's got to be a being out there. But somewhere in the moment, God looks into our eyes and says, get out of the boat and follow after me. I want to give you eternal life. And we have to make the choice to put our faith in him and to walk with him. Does that make sense? And so, and listen, if you get nothing out of this message today, that's what I really want to hammer through to you today. Don't live your life, don't live your spiritual life by accident. Be very specific and intentional in your choice. But listen, you know, the, the disciples way, is it, it, the, the, the only way you get into it is, is you make a specific personal choice. You, you hear God speak into your life and say, you need a Savior, and, and, and you say, I do need a Savior, and you make the choice to believe in Jesus as your Savior, and, and then, you're, then you're on a disciple's pathway. But the issue is then you've got to persist in the disciple's pathway. You have to persist in it. You know, there's a passage in the book of John where, where Jesus looked at his, said to his disciples, then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, all right, they're already on the pathway, right? They've gotten out of the boat, and they're following after They believed in him. So if, if you continue in my word, then you really are my disciples. There, there is a persistence that goes on. In another place, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross. And in Luke's version, it says, take up his cross daily and follow me. Those are the people who are truly the disciples. You have to persist in your faith. And, um, and you, this, is, this is a challenge for us in today's world. We, we live very, very busy lives. You know, I, I, I get it. 
And, and, and I think one of the things we've convinced ourselves is that there's certain seasons in our lives where we really just can't be active as a disciple. You know, I spoke Friday night down at the um, Christian Bible Fellowship at, Worc- at WPI down in Worcester. There's probably 35, 40 um, college students out for the evening. They did some worship together, and I had a chance to, to share a message with them. And, and these, are, these are kids who, I mean, WPI does six-week terms. So you get two weeks into it, and you're in your midterms, <laughs> right? And then you get another two weeks into it, and you're working on your finals and your final papers and completing your projects. They, they, they do team meetings, this and that, whatever. They, they, you know, we had college students when they were coming here from WPI, you know, they, they, they'd say, oh, yeah, I had a team meeting last night from 1030 to 1230, and that was on a Saturday night. You know, it's just they're very, very, very busy, right? They're paying thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to go there, right? And yet they're still never in a position to say, I, can just, I just need to take a break from my faith and focus on my studies. I mean, it's, it's very tempting, you know. We can do that in so many different ways. Oh, I, I'm really trying to get my business up and going. Or I just have my family, you know. I, I, you know I, I'm so grateful that both of our boys were born like pastor's kids. Josh was born on a Monday and Ben was born on a Tuesday. And I was actually back in the pulpit on Sunday after they were born. And Christina was actually there playing the piano within a week or two weeks after the boys being born. Just that, and it, the reason we were there was not because they were paying me, right? If, if the only reason I was there was that they were paying me, they needed to look for a new pastor, you know, and, and you know what I'm saying? And, and, and it puts, there's, we can convince ourselves, I'm not trying to pass judgment on anybody, right? We, oh, kids are so busy, they got to do this and this and this if they want to get into a good college and have a rich life and be prepared, whatever, and I, I just got no time to do any of the things that are really about walking with Jesus. And I want to tell you, I understand but a disciple persists. He persists, she persists in the things that are about walking with Jesus individually and corporately, about praying and being in the word and studying and, and, and being connected relationally to other people or, or being a part of serving and, and giving and, and, and adding to the worship team and being a source of encouragement to other believers. All, none of that stuff ever ever goes away. And I could never be in a place to tell you that you can say, you know what, you can just put that on the back burner from now and you're going to be fine. Because that's never going to happen. Think about the guys in the Tour de France, right? If they stop pedaling and coasting, even if they're on a big downhill, eventually it's going to end. And, when it, and, he, and one of two things has happened. They're either going to run out of speed, and like I do when I ride my bike with those shoes that have the clip-ins, you're just going to come to a stop, and then your feet aren't going to come out, and you're just going to fall over. You know, I'm glad nobody really that I know has ever seen me do that, and there have been plenty of opportunities <laughs> over the years. One of them was right down the end of my street, right at the corner on 140, got down the end, wouldn't come out, and whoosh, you know, and uh, anyway, it's not a pretty sight. And, you know, either we're just going to come to a crash, or we're going to have to turn around and start taking the downhill and heading in the wrong direction. You're never in a position where you don't need to persist in the disciple's way. you got to take up your cross daily and follow after him. you got to continue in his word. You just do. And, 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 and you have to find a way to do that. You know, because... You know, and, and I don't know what happens in those moments when that really happens. I, you know, we, we all know people, I know people personally, who, at, you know, who, who clearly had moments, seasons in their lives where, 
where they had a rich, active, growing faith, and now it looks like a distant memory. And, and I, I, don't, I can't give you an answer as to whether or not they're a believer or not, but I can tell you they're not a disciple. They're not following after Jesus. And I don't want any of us to become those kinds of people. Where we could have a debate whether or not they really believe in Jesus, but we don't have any debate saying that they're not a disciple because they're really not following after Jesus. Got one last point, and then we'll wrap up for today. Here's it. A disciple, and this is maybe not great terminology, but a disciple makes progress with Christ. A disciple makes progress with Christ. There is a way in which there should be growth, development, kind of maturity as it moves forward. Notice the way Jesus puts some things. He says, by this will everyone know that you are my disciples, right? That you have love for one another. That somehow or another as we grow in him and we develop the capacity to love those who are unlovable, and yes, there are some of those around, and some of you, some of you may feel that way about me. I don't know how lovable he is. You know, God, my, my siblings used to say to Christina, so we don't have any idea how you can live with them. You know, you, I, I, I get... By this will all men know that you are my disciples because you have developed, you have progressed in your ability to love one another, right? Just another, the same kind of way. But, and this is my Father glorified, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Now, being on the disciples' path takes a specific choice. You got to keep working at it. You got to persist in it, but then you should also progress. It should not be like being on a treadmill, that when you get off of it, you're in the exact same place you were when you got started. Do you, do you know what I mean? When, when these guys get on a bike and they start red, riding, they're, they're not on some kind of a thing in their basement, and when they get off, they're still in the basement. These guys are 100 miles down the road from where they started. There ought to be a sense of progress in our journeys. Some of that is qualitative. There should be a ch- What we believe should change how we behave. Our being, somehow or another, should also alter the way that we work in our lives. You know, our belief should impact our being and our, and our belonging to Christ should impact our behavior. There should be changes in our lives and that flows out of a qualitative, and there's a qualitative, in, a, in other words, there should be a change in who we are. Now, just a simple thing. Just look back over your, over your rear window and this is not meant to be discouraging whatever else and say, you know what, if, if when you came to know Christ, you were just a persistent liar and you're still a persistent liar five years later, there's probably something wrong with your discipleship path, right? If, if, you, if you, when you came to Christ, you just had a, 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 an angry, critical, vulgar kind of spirit, and you're still like that five years later, there's probably something wrong with your discipleship path, right? And, and you can just keep going right down the line. If you're still very just selfish and self-oriented and prideful, whatever, and there's no change in that, you're probably not on the right. There should be a qualitative change in our lives. But there also should be a quantitative one. You know, Jesus commanded us to go out and make disciples of all nations. Somewhere in our rearview mirror, as we're walking along the discipleship path, we should be able to look back and say, God used me to have a spiritual impact on that life, to have a spiritual impact on that life, to see this person come to know faith, this person come to know. There ought to be, there ought to be fruit in our background. 
And, and, and I, I know that makes us uncomfortable and all those kinds of things, but you can't run away from the fact that this is what God is asking us to do. You shall be my witnesses. Right? And, and, and it is to have an impact that all nations. It, so there's a, there's a qualitative aspect and there's a quantitative aspect as you move forward into all of this. And, and um, there's a sense in which, just like he said to, to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, it's like Jesus said to the church, be fruitful and multiply when he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. There is a way in which our lives should multiply for the kingdom. All right, my time's up, 10 o'clock. I'd love for you to take a moment, and I'm going to give you just a second to reflect, but and more than anything else, maybe I'm asking you to make a commitment to take the time to reflect. But I, first of all, I'd love for you to take a moment and look and say, when was it that I stepped onto the disciples' pathway? When was that moment where I stepped out of the boat, I left the, I left, I left the nets behind, and I started following after Jesus. And if you, can't, if you can't identify that moment, it's really my privilege and honor today, in the name of Christ, to invite you to take that step. To acknowledge that you need a Savior, to believe that Jesus is that Savior, and to make a commitment to following after him. For those of you who say, yeah, I can remember exactly when that was. You know, for me, it was, it, it was when I was 11 years old. You know, and, and I remember exactly when that was. How are you persisting in the path? And what are you ready to do to be a fuller disciple? Let's pray together for just a minute. Take just a moment. Run through your memory banks. Just let the Holy Spirit run you through your memory banks and go back to that moment when you know that Jesus called you onto the disciples' path. And if you can't find that moment, let it be this moment and choose to follow after Jesus as you accept his forgiveness. you've taken that step today, I'd love to have a chance to just to chat with you privately afterwards. We have a couple of resources that might help you get started in that journey of being a persistent disciple. There are many in this room who can point back to a time when they got out of the boat, left the nets, and followed after Jesus. I want to ask you right now to defend, identify one way that you can be more persistent and following after Jesus. And then commit to that. Don't make the commitment lightly, but commit to that. This is what I need to do to be more active, more persistent in following after Jesus. Our Father and our God, help us to pedal well on the disciples' pathway that we may be truly rooted 
going deep and growing wide so that we may know the height and the breadth and the depth of your love. We may be firmly established to thrive in our relationship with you no matter what's going on. And Father, that we would never, never wither, but we would prosper because our lives are rooted next to the living stream that you've given us in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray.